Hello, Clear Creek family. On behalf of the leadership team, thank you for your flexibility and charity during the disruptive past year. Both COVID and our refocused mission to reach the next person for Jesus have prompted us to really look at how to do church better to accomplish our God-sized goal. We believe our church will need to continue to adapt our efforts to reach the next person for Jesus. Here's what will always remain the same, our commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We will continue to preach the good news that Paul very simply laid out in 2 Timothy 2.8. Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, a descendant of David. It's truly comforting to know that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us the hope of a better life. Some things will never change, and that is good news indeed. What will things look like moving forward? We're focusing our attention on three things, Sunday worship, small groups, and discipleship electives. First, Sunday mornings will focus on worship and service. We will continue to have multiple worship experiences. We ask you to worship during one and serve during another. There are great service and encouragement options for you, especially during the 9.30 a.m. worship while your children and teenagers are in their classes. Second, we are recommitting to making small groups the center of church life at Clear Creek. Groups are vital for accomplishing our mission to reach the next person for Jesus. In groups, we care for one another, study scripture, serve our community, and make deep friendships. Third, we want to invest in you through intentional, periodic, short-term, action-oriented training throughout the week called Discipleship Electives. Discipleship electives will cover a variety of topics from marriage to money, how to study the Bible, and share your faith. We want to help you live as a disciple and make disciples for Jesus, so look for these in the future. Over the past year, your prayers and love for one another has been a vital part of how we all coped with the turmoil. Your steadfast love is a testament to your faith and devotion to Christ. As we move into the next year, we must continue to shine the light of Christ into our community and share the love we have with Christ with our neighbor. Again, thank you for your ongoing patience and partnership as we reach the next person for Jesus. I'm so glad to be a part of a church that uh, is led by such good men who want to give clarity and concrete, here's where we're going. And again, on behalf of the leadership team, just uh, we're so grateful uh, for your partnership over this past year in particular. And it's fun each week to kind of see things opening more and more and more. Anyone else just kind of grateful that things seem to be at least going in the right direction? Anyone else kind of glad about that? Yeah. So... We'll continue to communicate as things continue to clarify as we move forward, as we as a church reach the next person for Jesus. Well, good morning. My name is Josh. I'm one of the ministers here. If you're joining us online, welcome to our digital family room where we are all about reaching the next person for Jesus. And we're in a series called Resurrection People, Becoming Who God Made Us to Be. Now, over the course of these past few weeks, we have been looking at what does it mean to be fully raised to life. What does it mean to be a resurrected person? And the thesis for this entire series has been this one statement that God wants to save all of you, not just part of you, but all of you. And we began the teaching by looking at the five parts or the five dimensions of who you are. This comes from Jesus's words when he was asked, 
what's the most important commandment, Jesus? And he says, well, it's to love God with your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbors as yourself. In other words, there are five parts of what makes you, you. You are a collection of thoughts, a unique way of thinking. You have a heart or emotions. You are beliefs or your soul, what you at the core hold true. You are also the strength of your actions, And the neighbors or relationships, how you relate to people, all this is who you are. Now, last week, we began by looking at the mind, your thought life. And we said that the thoughts that we have influence so much of our lives. In fact, our thoughts influence our emotions. They influence our belief systems. In fact, we are to take control of our emotions instead of letting our emotions take control of us. And we do that through our thought life. Uh, We are to have beliefs or things that we hold as true that line up with something concrete and real. Often, we believe things without any reason for that belief. And so our thought life has such a big impact. And you remember how we ended last week. We took a moment to declare certain things from Scripture to be true. And I asked you to come up and put... Some of the truth statements from Scripture that would be informing your thoughts throughout the week. And so we proclaim the truth that we are loved. We are children of God. We are heirs of Christ. We are free. We are forgiven. We have been given gifts by God. We are specially made, handcrafted by God in the image of God. All these promises and truths because your thought life is so important. Now, today, we're going to look at the last two sections And we'll look at these two sections for the next couple, three weeks. But I want to set the table today to look at who you are in your actions and in your relationships. Because what you do influences others, doesn't it? I mean, if you have a good marriage, if you behave in a particularly positive way, that has a beneficial help. This benefits your spouse, children, friends. Same with if you're good in your job, if you work hard, if, you have, if, if you're a person of character or integrity. And so we're going to look at these two together. And here is what I want us to begin with this morning. It's with a provocative question. This is one question that I want to begin today. In fact, there are four questions that every person has to address to live a fully resurrected life. I'm only going to deal with one today. But this is such an important question. Here's the question. It's the question that goes like this. Why are you here? Why are you here? In fact, if you just want to sort of really have some fun with your neighbor, go ahead and turn to a neighbor. Go ahead. Look to a neighbor. Look to a neighbor. Yeah. Pick out a neighbor. And say, why are you here? Go ahead. Ask them. Why are they here? Okay. Now turn to your other neighbor, your second choice, and ask them, why are you here? Go ahead. Ask them. Let's just do this litany of love. And, and if you really want to have fun, you can look at someone with a bit of a sneer and say, Evan, why are you here? And he goes, the money. So anyway, but why are you here? Big question. And I'm not simply asking, why are you physically in this room? Although that's an important question. I'm asking, why are you here on earth? Have you ever thought about that? If God's purpose was simply to save you for heaven, then once you were saved, Why did God not simply beam you up like Scotty in Star Trek? Come on, think with me for a moment. If your purpose is simply to get off of earth before it burns, why then did God not simply take you to heaven as soon as you were saved? See, you have a purpose beyond what happens in heaven. You have a purpose for the here and now. Can I get an oh yeah from anyone? 
And so Paul is going to say, you have been created for purpose, on purpose, by God. And if you get it, you can live with the resurrected life he's intended. So Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 10, we're told, this is why you're here. In fact, one of my favorite phrases, before we get there, is by a man named Mark Twain. Any of you like Mark Twain? Any of you know who Mark Twain is? Any of you wish that English would come back to our schools so kids know? Okay, that's another story. One of my favorite quotes that he has is simply this. The two most important days of your life are the day you're born and the day you find out why. Henry David Thoreau said that the mass of men live lives of quiet desperation, sort of languishing because they don't know why they are here. Friends, if you are in Christ Jesus, you will leave this morning, I believe, knowing why you're here. And your joy and the joy of those around you, the beneficial presence that you can be is dependent on you getting this right. And I believe your Savior wants you to get it right. In fact, I believe you're here on earth and on this planet for a purpose, and you are a blessing even if you don't yet know why. But I want to show you. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says it this way. He says, for we are God, say this word with me, handiwork. That word is the word poema, which means poetry. You are the poem of God written into human form. You have a purpose, design, structure. You have a tempo, a meter. You are made on purpose. And he says you are created created. You were made, not on accident. You were handcrafted. You were made for a purpose, and that purpose is to do good works. Everyone say this with me. It is to do good, to do good works. You say, why am I here? It is to do good works. Say, why why am I still around after salvation? It's to do good works. And Paul says, so let me tell you, though, not everyone does the same good works the same way. We're all wired different. So in chapter 4, he goes on to say that God gives different roles to different people. He says that God gives apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why? He has a purpose for giving you and me a purpose on this planet. He has wired you for a purpose. Now, these are just a few gifts that God gives to the church. There are additional gifts if you want to read about them. I'm encouraging you to write this down, look them up later. Um, But Romans chapter 12, you'll get a list of spiritual gifts. You will in 1 Corinthians 12, a list of spiritual gifts. Here in Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 4, list of spiritual gifts. This is just a bit of it. But all of these gifts are for the purpose, notice this, to equip God's people for works of, say this again, Service. service. You have been given a shape by God for a purpose. And it's not just to serve, but the ultimate goal of service is to build up the church. By the way, this word, I like like this word, it's the Greek word oikodome, oikodome. Everyone say oikodome. Do you know what that means? It means house builder. God is giving these gifts to build a house. Some of you have had the joy or the pain of having to custom build your home. Quick question, which details matter? Well, if it's your house, all of it. God is using you to build the house of God for the purpose of God so that we will be unified, meaning we're not in different places disagreeing, but we are unified, that we are mature. This word means complete or whole to be in the fullness of Christ. How many of us would like to be fully like Jesus? How many of us would like our spouses 
to be fully like, don't raise your hand, but like Jesus. It all comes from this. So what is the point? What is the point? Let me give you the point. I want you to take out your oh-so-awesome note sheet this morning. You should have one on your seat. Grab that blank piece of paper. And I'm going to ask you to do something for me this morning. We're going to walk through five parts of who you are. How are you shaped for God's purposes? See, you and I are saved to serve, and I want to show you what that shape looks like. Are you ready this morning? So go ahead and draw your hand on the piece of paper. Go ahead and draw that hand. If some of you are real fast, you've already written your hand and you're kind of getting bored, that's fine. I mean, you can make your hand uh, into like a turkey if you want. Draw some legs on there, maybe a little gobble-gobble action, whatever kind of gets you going. All right. Okay. Now, once you've drawn your hand, what I want you to do is I want you to write the letters S-H-A-P-E atop all five of the fingers. S-H-A-P-E. Go ahead. Shape. Because we're going to look at your unique shape. This acrostic, I first was exposed to it about 20 years ago by a guy named Eric Reese. Fabulous acrostic. I love it. But I want to put a little hand action to it this morning. Now, go ahead and hold up your hand. Everyone just, let me see those hands. Would you hold up your hands? Yeah, let's see those hands. You got them? Good, good. Now, now go ahead and show someone the hand that you drew. Would you do that? Would you compare your hand to someone else's? How many of you would say, this looks a lot like my hand? Can I see some hands this morning? How many of you would say, my drawing looks nothing like my hand? It looks like roadkill. Someone just squished it, and that's what it is. Your hand is different from everyone else's hand, and your shape is different from everyone else's shape. I want to walk through this very quickly. Number one, when you think of the way that God has made you to serve, because you've been saved to serve, you've been saved to serve, you've been saved to serve, think about this. Number one, God has given you the S, a spiritual gift. God has given you a spiritual gift. You say, what is a spiritual gift? A spiritual gift is supernatural abilities given to all Christians to do God's work on earth earth. Notice it's supernatural, meaning it's not something you can do on your own. It is given to all Christians, not simply to a select elect, but to everyone who has come into saving faith, baptized in the waters of baptism. You have been given a gift or gifts by God, and it is to do God's work here on earth. These are the passages that give us a smattering of of the spiritual gifts. In fact, let me give you just a selection from Romans chapter 12. Seven are listed by example. Now, we won't go through all these, but if you were to read through these, you'd see that some of the gifts are prophecy or serving, teaching, encouragement, giving, leadership, mercy. Now, for instance, some of you in this room, I have witnessed you have the gift of serving. Serving, by the way, is simply the gift from God to see a need before the need is made known to most and you meet the need. You see the need and you meet the need. You see the need. Some of our people, you are the best servants that I've ever seen. Others of you in here have the gift of encouragement. Encouragement is the supernatural ability to literally give courage through your words, written or spoken. You are a person who fills someone up with courage because you say, you can do it. I see God's work in you. I believe the best is yet to come in your life. There are others in here, I think about my wife, her gift, one of them, is the gift of giving. Now, that's not my gift, because the spiritual, supernatural, spiritual gift of giving is that, and I'm going to give you a definition here, 
is the ability to share money joyfully. Now, I like to give sort of, but my wife, she loves it. So, men, do you know what my job in our marriage is? It's to help fund her spiritual gift so she can then give joyfully, cheerfully to the things that God puts on her heart. Some of you are joyful givers. I witness it in the way that you give. Not necessarily because you have a lot to give. You simply give a lot of what you have. And then there are others who have like mercy. Mercy is the gift from God to sit in the pain of someone else or the joy of someone else so that they know they're not alone. How many of us have some merciful people in our lives? You know who they are because when life goes bad, you go to them. These are some of the spiritual gifts of God and you have been given gifts by God for the purpose of blessing the body. Now, you say, well, how do I discover my spiritual gifts? Well, I'm going to give you a website a little later in the message to jot down. But there are three things if you want to discover your spiritual gift. Number one, read about them in Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, Paul the Apostle says, Now, brothers and sisters, about spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be ignorant. Many of us, according to one survey, 87% of all Christians do not know what spiritual gifts are or what theirs are. Nine out of ten Christians cannot tell you how God has gifted them in a particular way. It reminds me of the friend who one year wanted to give his soon-to-be fiancé a wedding ring. So at Christmas, he hid the little jewel box with the ring in the tree. The problem was, before the family gathering, the mom decided to rearrange the tree And she moved the box. She didn't see it, so she kind of jostled the tree, and it fell down into the middle of the tree. Don't you know they spent all of the Christmas holiday looking for the gift, but he couldn't let his soon-to-be fiancé know, so all she saw was him bent over doing this all the time in the tree. She's like, weirdo. How many of us know that you have gifts that unless you open them, you and the rest of the world will never get to enjoy the benefit? What are your gifts? So number one, study the gifts. Number two, ask God. He will teach you. He will show you. Lord, show me what I have that you've been giving me. And number three, find ways to serve. In fact, I would almost flip the list. Begin with service. If you see a need, meet the need. Because every gift is for the benefit of the church. And if there's a need that you see, then there is someone God has designed to help fill that. Now, some of us have an attitude of saying, if I see a need, I will tell you about it. Resurrected people say, if I see a need, I will try to do something about it. So first thing, spiritual gifts, the H, H, H. You ready for H? H is heart. God has given you a passion, a way that your heart beats for things. So a heart, let me give you this. The heart is the special passions God has given you so that you can glorify him on earth. Key phrase is special passions. There's some things that tap your heart, that grab your attention. Questions to consider if this is yours to figure out what you have. What makes your heart beat faster? What do your dreams and desires drift toward? What do you really want to do for God? What motivates you to take action? What do you care about? Who are the people groups? Some of you, when you think of children, that's where your heart goes, yes. Others, it's students, yes. For others, it's like, blah. And it's anyone over the age of 35, and you're like, yeah, I jive there. 
but maybe it's an age range. For others, it's going to be a situation or a circumstance or a part of culture. You'll ask questions like, who can I most profoundly impact? Or will I meet a physical, emotional, relational need? Or what cause will I help conquer? I think about the women in our church who are part of Cry for the Broken, who go out and meet women who are on the streets, and their goal is to help those on the streets find a home to come off of the streets. Don't you know that that is a heart passion God has given to some people? I think about the old story of the Earl of Shaftesbury. He was a well-to-do man who did not generally consider the needs of others until a mine, a coal mine collapsed in the year 1838. And 26 children, all under the age of 10, died while working in the mine. It was one of those stories that when he heard about it, all of a sudden it broke the tough veneer of his life. And he began to see the plight of these young children in Victoria, England, who were being put to work at such a young age. And when he heard about the 26 who died, he said, something has to be done about this. And someone has to do something. I will do it. And so God used that heart passion through this man of means and influence to pass legislation that prohibited children under the age of 10 from working, especially in dangerous industries, and shortening the number of hours that the children were required or allowed to work, and they were to be paid more. In other words, the heart passion of one man led to protection of hundreds of thousands of children's lives. Do not discount the passion God gives you to discover the purpose God has given you. All right, let's go. A. A, these are your abilities, your natural-born abilities. In fact, there we go. Abilities are the set of talents God gave you when, key phrase, you were born, which he also wants you to use to make an impact for him. This morning, we have been blessed by a group of people who were born with the natural ability of singing. Aren't you glad God gives some of us the ability to sing? Have you heard some of us? Aren't you glad God gives some the ability to sing? There's a group here who share their gift, their natural ability. They were just born with it. Uh, This morning, I was reminded of a natural ability I have when I went next door to get a cup of coffee. I went over here to the Starbucks in Food City. You say, why? Well, two reasons. Number one, I love coffee, and I also want to know the people there so I can share faith. And so I've gotten to know the baristas, and I was visiting with one of them, and, and uh, this, this barista, this girl, she goes, hey, um, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah. She goes, what do you do for a living? Now, let me just tell you, as a preacher, that terrifies me because I get one of two answers usually, Dennis. Are you ready? Here's the, well, one of two. I either get someone saying to me, that's great, tell me more when I say I'm a preacher, or usually they go, oh, that's nice. And they just back away quietly. But I said, well, I'm a minister. And she goes, I knew it. I said, why is that? She said, well, because you obviously talk really loud and like to talk a lot. (laughs) Thanks, John. I'll be here all morning. So... When I was born, no one had to teach me to talk loudly or lots. That is a natural ability or propensity. And every one of you, every one of you has one or a group of them. The key is to harness the ability God's given you 
for the purpose God has made you. Too often, Christ followers harness their ability for secondary purposes, but never the primary one. Your shape is dependent on you grabbing and engaging your abilities. One thing to consider, what activities do you love, do you like, or do you loathe? I say live without, but loathe, really. What things? This may help you to discover what your abilities are. What do you love to do? What do you, eh, okay. And what are you like, no thanks. That will help you discover how God has made you. S-H-A. The P, let's move on, is your personality. How many of us know that some of us have a special personality? Every one of us is wired a particular way. You have a personality. In fact, personality is the special way. Everybody say, you're special. Go ahead. You're special. It's a special way God has wired you to navigate life and fulfill your unique kingdom purpose. Your personality is so very important. Let me give you a few traits of personality. Your personality will include, are you a high or low risk taker? How many in here would consider yourselves high risk takers? If there's a plane to be jumped out of, if there is a dangerous animal to play with, you are all in. Now, how many of us would say, unless bubble wrap is offered, I'm not doing it? Anyone in here? We got some low risk people, right? So your personality is high or low risk. It is also high or low energy. Low energy, uh, low energy people, you're my cat people. You know, a cat wakes up at noon, goes back to sleep at two. You're my cat, people. That's part of your personality. Others in here, you're all about the people. I think about Aubrey over here. Aubrey, you're all about the people. And hey, let's get something done, maybe. But let's for sure have a party while we're doing it or not doing it. Am I right? Yes, amen. Now, I've got some of my planners over here. It's not so much about the people. It's about the projects. Look, I like you, but if we don't get this done, we're wasting time. Amen? No? Anyone? (laughs) So you've got personality here, people or projects. You've got people. It's a routine. I just like to have the same thing every day. I know what I'm doing, where I'm going, what I'm eating, who I'm with. I just like life on repeat. Others of you, it's like life's a party. Let's do it different every day. So you go to work different ways just because. You visit with people differently just because, because you are designed wanting variety. Some of us, you want to be out in front. Others, You just want to be able to come alongside and support what's happening. Then there are those who are outgoing and those who are shy. Okay, let's just do this. Where are my outgoing people here this morning? Anyone outgoing here today? Oh, see, way over here we got wood. There you go. Now, notice this. I'm not going to ask my shy people to raise their hand. Why? Because they're shy. You ask them to raise their hand, they're like, nope, not going to do it. Because that's personality. Finally, then you have extrovert, introvert. These are people who get energy from people or not. Let me tell you something, church. These last two, outgoing, introvert, extrovert, I thought I was defective for over 20 years of my life. Until my early 20s, I thought I was born defective. Here's what I mean. I grew up in a high-achieving, high-energy family with a mom and a dad who get things done. Now, my parents are my best friends. I talk to my dad regularly. I have a standing coffee date with my mom on the phone every Monday at 8.30 a.m. So I love my parents, but I just need to be very clear. I grew up in an environment where we wanted to achieve, but my problem was my dad is such a high achiever, and he's also so energetic 
that it is impossible to live up to that. Now, he never told me I have to be like him, but as a son, I always thought that was the standard. And I, and I always wondered, why was I never able, why could I not seem to be like him on things? And I truly thought I was born defective. Until in 2003, I think it was, I was listening to a woman named Lynn Jones, a dear friend of our family. She's a psychologist, loves Jesus deeply, and she explained that our personalities are very complex, and she made a distinction that I had never heard before, but I needed to hear. She said, you can be outgoing and introverted at the same time. I said, how is that possible? She said, because outgoing is you're comfortable with people, but introvert, extrovert has to do with where do you get your energy extroverted people get energy from being with people. You are the battery for everyone. Introverted people see other people as the thing that sucks energy from them. And I thought, man, if I'm, if I'm not getting energy from you, something's wrong with me. And then it occurred when she shared this with me. I was like, well, I'm outgoing. I like people, but I have to be by myself for periods of time to refresh and recharge. Isn't it interesting when I realized I wasn't defective, but I was designed by God, and he just so happened to put me in a job where I spend large amounts of time by myself studying the Scriptures, and then I get to be in front of a lot of friends saying, listen to what I heard. This is the gift of God. You're not defective, friend. You were designed by God. And you owe it to yourself and everyone around you to discover how God has shaped you. You have a personality by God for your good and the benefit of others. Real quick, final one is experiences. Oh, sorry, let me put this up here. If you want to get a little bit more about this, great little quick survey. Go to arcchurches.com slash disc. It'll give you a quick survey of your personality and possible spiritual gift mixing. I always give the caveat, these are never perfect, but they may give you a direction to pursue to say, is this how God has wired me? Arkchurches.com slash disc. Let's move on to the fifth and final one is experiences. E for experiences. Your experiences are those parts of your past both positive and painful, which God intends to use in great ways. Your experiences are your positive and painful experiences that God wants to use. Friends, if we were to share the microphone this morning, some of us would share great successes. We would talk about those moments that because of experiences, maybe in your business life, you've had such consistent success that you'd say, that's how God has wired me. It's such a good thing. Others, you have constant relationship connections and you're just good with people. And that's how God's wired me. Or others of you would look and you'd say, well, there's this person I always go to. So this relationship, this is a person who helps me. And so this is it. And then there are others in here, you'd look at maybe achievement in your life and you'd see an award you got and say, wow, that was really good at that. And you'd look at your past and you'd see all these positives. And some of you, you would share those things and they would be exciting and great. They're positive experiences. But in this room, if you live more than a few years, you and I both know that life is not all positive experiences, is it? There's some painful experiences in this room and online. And for some of us in this room, if we were to ask you to share, you'd just say, I can't, I can't, I can't tell you what that person did to me in private. I I can't tell you the pain that I feel for what I did in this moment, in this season of my life. For some in here, you just think about the pain and it just hurts you. And you, and, and Friends, I need you to hear me for just a moment. 
Some of you are carrying around the pain of your past, thinking you are broken beyond restoration. And I want you to hear something right quick. When Jesus saved you from your sins, he also wanted to save you from the pain of your past. Your past does not have the final word on your life. In fact, the same God who made you and knew you before time began, he knew everything that would happen to you. He did not cause everything that has happened to you, but he knew about it. And he is able to take the worst moment of your life and he's able to bring beauty to it. Because you are able to step into it and say, this is what happened, but thanks be to God, this is who I am now today. I think about the Apostle Paul who lived his life in opposition of the gospel of Jesus, killing and imprisoning Christians. And we know that this wounded him deeply because of the number of times he brings it up in his letters. And yet because of what he did and then what Christ did, forgiving, restoring, redeeming him, he now used the worst moments of his life as a testimony to say, no one is too far from God. Just look at how he saved me. Your painful moments can be brought to use by God. I think about my wife, Lindsay, and again, I ask permission to share this But she and I, one of the things about our stories that are different, that she's able to do something I will never be able to, comes from our home life. We both grew up in good homes with a good mom and a good dad. But when my wife was 15 years old, around Christmas time, her dad walks in and basically gives her a goodbye kiss, leaves the house, and does not come back home. And so from 15 on, my wife grew up in a broken home. Now, I would not wish that on anyone And I would not wish the pain that that has caused, nor would I wish the separation that that has caused. But I want you to know something, church, that God is a redeemer and a restorer even of the darkest moments. I thank God that my parents are together, but my wife, because of her experiences, is able to minister to people that I will never be able to care for in the same way. I am grateful for the way that God redeems even the worst moments. Hear me now, your worst moment is not your last moment. Your past does not get to define you. Your experiences become part of how God will use you to put your handprint on the world around you. If you'll simply say, God, I give you what I've got. In fact, this morning, can I just ask you, would you hold your hands out for me? Would you do this just for a moment? We're about done. Just hang with me, but put your hands out. Would you just look at these things? I think about some of you, you have hands that are scarred because you work your hands a certain way. I think about the gifts in our church, the Steve Perrys who are craftsmen, they've got abilities. I think about those of you who are teachers and how you use those hands to hold children. I think about those of you who write magnificent notes of encouragement. I think about those of you who are engaging in so many ways. But these hands, these hands, symbolic of how God has shaped you. He's given those to you for a purpose. And a resurrected person knows that I have been saved to serve. I've given God my hands. I'm saved to serve. So here's my question. Here's my question. Where are you serving today? Where are you serving? Because if God gives you a gift, it means he knows the church needs it. 
What part of your past can you bring to bear and mentor someone else where they are today? What ability do you have that you can leverage for the benefit of the kingdom of God? What personality traits will connect with someone else in a way that no one else's will? Where is God giving you a passion or a heart to make a difference? You've been given a shape. And I'm asking you today, would you step in and use what God's given? Because saved people serve people.